This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Wednesday, August the 10th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go! Coming up on the show today, Eric Bachman from CO2 Rail discusses a new technology for rail cars to remove excess carbon dioxide from the air. A parent has developed a smart webcam that can detect when their infant is showing signs of hunger. Mike Agarbo of The App Show fills you in with that story. Mental health advocate Shane Baker shares advice on how to adjust your habits and routines for big life changes. And entertainment critic Michael McNeely offers up his review of the Netflix animated film, The Sea Beast. Lots coming your way today. Thank you for making the time to be with us. Let's begin the show with our top story of the day. Saskatchewan RCMP have issued an arrest warrant for 50-year-old Benjamin Martin Moore, a convicted sex offender at the center of an Amber Alert for two children. Kelly Malone has more. Uh, okay, while we're trying to locate that CP clip, let's uh, just give the description that's being offered for Moore. Moore is described as five foot ten. 200 pounds with black hair. They may be traveling in a dark blue 2015 Chevrolet Equinox with an Alberta plate CGC 2492. And I believe we now have that clip from Kelly Malone. RCMP say Benjamin Moore was being investigated by social services. But last week, police found the house he lived in with the children and their mother abandoned. Police say seven-year-old Luna Potts and eight-year-old Hunter Potts are believed to be in South Dakota with Moore. RCMP Chief Superintendent Tyler Bates says they're extremely concerned for the safety of the children. Moore has a history of sexual offenses against children and was previously convicted of sexual interference of a minor. Kelly Malone, The Canadian Press. A state of emergency remains in place in central Newfoundland due to forest fires, but a major highway has been reopened, allowing supplies to be delivered to communities. In a release issued on Tuesday evening, the provincial government says the Bay d'Espoir Highway was open. However, forest resource roads along the route would remain closed and cabin owners were asked to avoid entering the area. The province said the decision to keep the highway open will be reassessed if weather and visibility changes. A state of emergency issued over the weekend for Botwood, Bishop's Falls, Grand Falls, Windsor, and the coast of Bay's region remains in place. While we're talking about climate stories, the BC government is doubling the amount of money available to businesses to create innovations and products to reduce plastic pollution. Environment Minister George Heyman said the government's plastics recycling fund is increasing to about $10 million from last year's $5 million as part of its clean BC environmental policy. And what that money will do is it will help applicants uh, with uh, kinds of uh, proposals to reuse or upcycle plastics, to recycle plastics, to introduce new technologies to better process and uh, more efficiently recover plastics, and most importantly, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and keep plastics out of our environment. The province funded nine plastics recycling projects last year and is looking at innovations this year that include recycling electric car batteries, medical equipment, and mattresses. Looking abroad, South Koreans are dealing with the aftermath of a record-breaking rainfall. Charles de Ledesma has that story. Cleanup and recovery efforts have gathered pace in the greater Seoul region as skies cleared after rain had unleashed flash floods and killed at least nine people. 
key workers bore sinkholes in an apartment neighbourhood and removed flood-damaged cars from a parking lot. Seven people remain missing in the Greater Seoul area following the heavy rains that swamped the region on Monday and Tuesday, turning streets into car-clogged rivers, sending floods cascading into subway stations, triggering landslides that crashed into roads and buildings and displacing more than 1,800 people from their homes. I'm Charles Dilladesma. Staying abroad, the European Union is asking member countries to cut their gas consumption by 15% to prepare for possible gas shortages this winter due to the war in Ukraine. EU leaders agreed in May to embargo most Russian oil imports by the end of the year. Inez de la Couture has more from Paris. The EU enacting an emergency gas plan, asking EU countries to reduce their gas demand so as to fill gas storage and prepare for a possible Russian cutoff this winter. The suggested cuts could become binding in a supply emergency. A Russian pipeline operator has halted shipments of oil through Ukraine to the Czech Republic, Slovakia and Hungary. Coming back to Canada, the regulator overseeing Canadian Airlines has not issued any fines related to passenger compensation claims for flight delays and cancellations, despite the fact that new rules came into effect three years ago. Adam Burns has that story. There's been a flood of complaints of late, both formally and on social media, from travellers caught up in the chaos at Canada's airports. The country's passenger rights charter mandates that airlines pay up to $1,000 for cancellations or significant delays that stem from reasons within the carrier's control. But carriers have denied payments on the basis of crew shortages, calling that a safety issue, exempt from compensation. The regulator's stance is that lack of staff typically falls within the airline's control and therefore should result in compensation. Adam Burns, the Canadian Press. And while we're talking about travel delays, I want to play this story for you that's going to relate to our daily polls. An Australian airline wants all their employees to step up to help with delays and cancellations. Michelle Frangin explains. It's the latest workaround strategy for the ongoing shortage of airline staff as the industry tries to recover from a post-pandemic travel surge. Qantas Airways is now asking its office higher-ups to volunteer in the baggage handling operations. The Australian-based airline sent a letter to employees calling on at least 100 managers and executives to opt in, all in an effort to help keep customer service from falling short. Qantas says COVID cases and the tightening labor market are leading to the staffing shortages. Michelle Fran- and ABC News. Let's get to our daily polls. At AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Yesterday we asked you, where do you spend more of your time online? 78% of you said apps and 22% of you said web browsers. Today's daily poll relates to the news story I just played for you by Michelle Franzen. An Australian airline is asking managers and office employees to work as baggage handlers to help with delays. What do you think of that idea? Good idea or bad idea? Forcing you into a binary here. Good idea or bad idea? My instinct is points for creativity, but if these folks don't know what they're doing, that's not going to help with delays or cancellations, and it certainly is not going to help with lost bags. You have to train these folks up. You can think that, oh, an executive or a manager is fully capable of doing anything below them. Have you ever worked anywhere? Most managers and executives have no idea what's going on on the ground. They have no clue. Grace Scofield, for before I get myself in trouble with uh, people that maybe work above me, I should hand things off to you. What do you think of this idea? I think it's a bad idea immediately. I think, yeah, train them so they know what they're doing because otherwise it is going to cost bigger issues. 
And also, I don't like that they used the term volunteer to do a whole other job that isn't in their job description. Like, do something. If you're going to have to train them, if they're going to have to do the work, pay them as they should or give them incentives or give them some sort of compensation for doing this work. Because how else are you going to get them to do it? In this case, these are executives and managers, so they're probably making more than your standard baggage Absolutely, but it's still like, you know... Come on, give them a little something else. I I just think that if there are a bunch of executives and managers who have failed to properly staff their company, if they can't do their own jobs well, how are they going to do somebody else's job? There we go. There we go. (laughs) I think it's a bad idea. It's a really. It's not a good idea. You know, again, points for creativity. I think this is going to come up on the news panel this week with Michelle and Joita because I want to talk a little bit more about the story Corinne Van Dusen had in the regional news update yesterday about more direct flights coming out of uh, Regina's airport to get to people to the States. So I want to start bouncing some ideas around about like what we can actually do to solve some of these travel delays. And I'm going to bring up this story too. But again, I think the, the creativity is there, but the fact is you, you need people and you can't just repurpose other people and other positions inside no. your company. You need to actually go hire the right people and train them up and train them good. Exactly. Grace, thank you for this. I mentioned Corinne Van Dusen by name, so let's bring her into this conversation. Hey, Corinne, what do you think of this idea from this Australian airline Qantas who says you know what CFO it's time for you to do some baggage handling uh, I want to see John Travolta throwing bags onto a plane because he has a big relationship with Qantas uh, in their company so I thought of that immediately I thought of undercover boss um, that <laughs> oh, yeah. show yeah 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 <laughs> and you know they get trained to do stuff and but and of course it's for television so there's editing and stuff but it, my mind just went to you know a parody of that and uh people running around like looking at baggage and, and turning around and not knowing what to do and <laughs> stuff like that so i i also think it's kind of an optics thing like look at what we're doing you know we have um a shortage here so we'll bring our executives and people from upstairs downstairs and they'll get their hands dirty and, and that's how we're really trying to help you. So uh, we'll have to see if there's some Benny Hill music playing in behind the scenes when when this happens. Trading in my leather loafers for a set of steel-toed boots. I'm on the ground working with y'all <laughs> hand in hand, arm in arm, fixing the problems that plague us. Yeah, I can see how optics might be involved in this as well. And listen, every now and then you have to have a little bit of an optical display, a little bit of a muscle flex, but this This one seems like it's a little bit teeny bit off the mark. Corinne, thank you for this. We'll talk to you in a couple minutes for the big business story of the day. And guess what? We're talking about inflation. We also have the U.S. Consumer Price Index dropping today. So Corinne and I will take a closer look at what's going on in the world of business. In the meantime, at AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. That's where you vote on the poll. You can also find Grace Scofield at the AMI Weather Desk. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We start off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where there's some periods of rain changing to drizzle this morning with a high of 14 degrees. In Halifax, it's mainly cloudy with a high of 23 degrees. In Montreal, it's cloudy today, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon with a high of 23 degrees. In Ottawa, it's clearing today with a high of 25 degrees. In Toronto, a mix of sun and cloud, clearing late this morning with a high of 28 degrees. In Thunder Bay, it's sunny today, becoming a mix of sun and cloud near noon with a high of 26 degrees. 
Over in Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon with a high of 24 degrees. In Saskatoon, it's mainly sunny today with a high of 26 degrees. In Calgary, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy today with a 30% chance of showers early this morning and a high of 30 degrees. In Edmonton, Alberta, a mix of sun and cloud becoming sunny this morning with a high of 30 degrees. Up in Yellowknife, a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of 24 degrees. In Vancouver, BC, it's mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers late in the afternoon and the high is 24 degrees. And in Victoria, BC, some increasing cloudiness early in the morning with a 40% chance of showers in the afternoon and a high of 23 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up next, Eric Bachman from CO2 Rail discusses a new technology for rail cars to remove excess carbon dioxide from the air. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Trains could play a part in the battle for climate change, but not just as a method of transportation. New work done by researchers in Canada, the US and the UK shows the potential for modified rail cars to remove excess CO2 from the air. To help explain and discuss the potential of this project is Eric Bachman, Chief Technology Officer for the CO2 Rail Company, and we've reached Eric in Oberlin, Ohio. Eric, thank you so much for making time for us today. We're grateful. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm well. So let's start <laughs> with the technology itself. Give me a bit of insight on how it actually works. Sure. So <clears throat> we've developed a rail-based, self-powered uh, climate change mitigation technology, like you said, uh, that utilizes the global rail network, uh, purpose-built rail equipment, and uh, it's all powered by sustainable regenerative braking energy that's uh, generated from stopping or slowing an entire train many times per day. And it has no off-duty charging cycle or external energy. energy inputs whatsoever. Um, That sustainable energy is then used to power direct air capture modules, which remove excess carbon dioxide gas from the ambient air. And then that gas is then compressed into a liquid form and transported into the developing circular carbon economy to make value-added products such as syngas or or chemicals, um, or ideally, uh, send it to uh, geological sequestration sites where it's pumped uh, deep underground, and it remains permanently trapped uh, in the rock formations. It sounds like a really fascinating idea, and I'm sure there was a ton of work that went into this. I'm curious, though, is this a specific rail car, or can any rail car be retrofitted with this technology? Well, at the end, it's a, it has a very distinct form, um, but 
in the beginning, we, we intend to repurpose existing railroad tank cars. Um, and, and that's pretty neat. Uh, if, if you can have an opportunity to take a car that might have recent, recently been used to transport uh, petroleum products and repurpose that, that same rail car into one that is now removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. That's, that's pretty neat, neat opportunity. In the research, is there a sense of how much CO2 could actually be removed from the air? Yeah, that depends on uh, what year uh, you want to talk about. Obviously, it's going to take us some time to, to scale up, a, as with any other solution. But um, if we can uh, meet our, our schedule of, of, of starting production on, on our our first unit uh, in first quarter of next year i think we can get to um to the million ton level um very very soon thereafter within a within a couple years um and then by 2050 we hope to be at right about two and a half uh billion tons or two and a half gigatons of removal and then uh even higher than that by 2075. Uh, did I mention this is a long term? <laughs> that it took us a long time to get to this point. It's going it, to, unfortunately, it's going to take us uh, a, a bit of time to uh, solve the problem. But by 2075, uh, we hope to be at about 7.9 or 8 billion tons per year. Uh, long term solutions are, are not a problem. In fact, I think that speaks to the work that you and your colleagues have done putting this together. Walk me through what the research has been like and what the timeline has been so far as you and your colleagues have been collaborating all over the world. Yeah, we actually have a, a really strong uh, Canadian uh, connection. We are a U.S. based company, but I'd say a good half our team is um, is out of Canada. Uh, mostly out of out of the University of Toronto. Uh, Jeff Riozin, Jeffrey McIntosh, Alan Guzik, uh, and, and, and others. Um, but it, it's been, uh, we, we've been working on this. Um, so my, my history, my background is in rail. And then about 10 years ago, uh, I decided to transition into sustainable tech development. Um, so it's been a little bit longer road for me, but, uh, yeah, the team, uh, as a whole has been working on this for about two years and, uh, it's, it's been challenging, but I think we've, we've put together a really, really nice solution. You're making progress here and the proof of concept is there. And I think the appetite generally speaking is, is here, but have individual cities or rail companies or public transit, uh, crown corporations reached out at all about and, and sort of followed up and, and, and are showing their appetite to get this technology retrofitted onto their trains. Yeah. So on July 20th, uh, we had our, our scientific paper published in a really, really uh, great journal uh, known as JUUL, uh, J-O-U-L-E. And that's a, um, a journal that special, specializes in, in energy. Uh, and we were actually uh, honored enough to make the cover. And as you can imagine, um, when you when you're published uh, with, with such a strong team like we have, 
um, like I said, from University of Toronto, but also MIT, Princeton, University of Sheffield, and, and some other European universities. Um, the, the, the response is, is, is very strong. And we have been inundated um, with calls and, and emails from nearly every major railroad in North America and uh, the Passion Railroads as well. Eric, just as we're wrapping up here, I hope you don't. I hope you don't mind that I'm going to make a little bit of a joke here because I think the name CO2 Rail Company is a really strong name. But did anybody ever consider the name Choo Choo CO2? That's we're we're going to have to uh, consider that. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. Never thought of that one, but it's pretty good. The doors of Dave Brown Consulting are always open, Eric. Uh, Eric, right. uh, where can people learn more about CO2 Rail? Sure. Uh, CO2rail.com uh, is a good place to start and uh, I encourage everyone if you can uh, uh, to check out the uh, the jewel paper um, or you, you can hit us up on, on Twitter at, uh, at CO2rail. Hey, Eric, I know you guys are busy and you guys are working your tails off, you and your colleagues. So thank you for making time for us today and telling us about this exciting technology. It's my pleasure, Dave, anytime. That's Eric Bachman, Chief Technology Officer for the CO2 Rail Company, speaking to us from Oberlin, Ohio. Coming up next, we'll talk to mental health advocate Shane Baker. We'll talk about how uh, life changes sometimes need you to adjust your habits and routines. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index lost ground yesterday, dragged down by losses in the tech sector. Toronto's TSX index fell 90 points to 19,578. New York's Dow Jones average dropped 58 points and the Nasdaq tumbled 150. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index lost 180 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 77.66 cents U.S. Asian stocks have followed Wall Street lower ahead of this morning's U.S. inflation data for July. Traders worry the data will show upward pressure on prices, especially core inflation, which strips out volatile food and energy, is still too strong for the U.S. Federal Reserve to ease off interest rate hikes. And the semiconductor shortage is hitting another of the world's automakers, despite demand for product. Tokyo-based Honda reported today its fiscal first quarter profit has fallen 33% from last year, totaling $1.1 billion on a 7% drop in quarterly sales. From the Canadian press Business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Here is a cliche for you. The only constant in life is change. We're always entering new stages of our lives, which means adjusting habits and routines. A new job, a new school, a new partner, a new city, the birth of a child. It all requires a recalibration. Shane Baker is here to discuss how you can make that transition as smooth as possible. And Shane joins us from Vancouver Island. Hey, good morning, Shane. How are you? Good morning, Dave. I'm doing great. Thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I always enjoy chatting with you. Shane, you sent me an email today, uh, yesterday wanting to talk about this. I'm, I'm curious why it was on your mind. What got you thinking about it? Yeah, I, um, well, I turned 45 um, on August 5th, 
and um, me and my partner went on a little vacation and just to get away. And it's been a really busy summer. Um, so we decided just to get away and, and, and enjoy ourselves. And uh, on Saturday, um, I decided that it was a great day to swim in the pool. We were staying at a little riverside uh, resort in Qualcomm. It was incredible. And uh, I decided to wait until the pool was open. And uh, I just started to um, start the day off with an epic cannonball. (laughs) 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 The first one was epic. I was told water went everywhere, Um, you know, but apparently that is the limit is one cannonball because I got out of the pool and I jumped up and I did it again. And I landed awkwardly, and I gave myself a ridiculous Charlie horse. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I couldn't even climb out of the pool. I was just so, I was just like, wow, is this what it's going to be like? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to to middle-aged life, Shane. So, so that this is where we start to think about these things, and and I think you know it, it kind of put a damper on on our trip, um, you know. But it did get me thinking about things, and it did get me thinking about you know I, I am transitioning, you know. Um, I've been transitioning into different stages of my life, um, you know, for a little while now, and I think one of the challenges is trying to figure out how can we go through this aging? How can we go through this maturing? Um, you know, how can we go through this evolution um, as we age in the best possible way? Do you think there's some kind of strategy in analyzing, making those transitions from life stage to life stage? Do you think there can be some kind of rubric or a checklist? I know every time I talk to you, I'm always talking about a rubric or a checklist. <laughs> well, I think, I think, it, I think we often complicate things. And I think that, um, you know, whether we're looking at, you know, when we're young or, you know, when we're 45 or 65, you know, one of the things that's always um, resonated with me about um, an Indigenous way of looking at health and wellness is a real holistic approach. And so really looking at our mental health, our our physical, our spiritual, our, our you know, all these different dimensions of our wellness. And then it's up to us. And I think that's where the part that sometimes we can get lost. Even for myself, this summer has been so busy and learning how to balance my personal life my work life and even some of my school life um, has been very challenging and it's left me with not a lot of energy to do those things that I need to do for myself. And, and I think when we're looking at this, you know, we really need to see like, how can we meet the needs um, of ourselves? You know, how can we meet our physical health? How can we meet our emotional needs? And, and I think it doesn't matter what age we're at. I think that we can find the right solutions for ourselves. It just takes a little bit of time and effort and planning and execution. (laughs) How much of that do you think is about an honesty in understanding there are certain things that we just can't do as prominently as we used to, right? Whether it be the doing uh, multiple cannonballs instead of just the one (laughs) cannonball, or maybe the idea of running the marathon or doing the ultra long bike ride might not be as easy as it used to be. Or, you know, for some folks it's, it's going out, right? I used to love going out two, three, four times a week. That is no longer in my energy sphere. That no longer exists for me. I even think about a friend, Shane, who lives in Florida and she's really been having a tough time recently. And one of her self-care things is going to 
to Disney. And she tried to do it on Saturday and she couldn't. Her like mental energy just wasn't there. And then she got even more bummed out because she was like, oh man, I really wanted to go to Disney. It was going to make me feel better. And that act, like the, the process of trying to do it made it worse. So how much of it about is having these honest conversations with ourselves and, and having realistic points of view saying maybe what used to work for us just doesn't work anymore? I think that's part of it. And I think, you know, for myself as somebody who went through um, a pretty um, abrupt transition into, um, you know, having a life with a disability, um, you know, when I was younger, I used to play rugby, I used to do judo, um, you know, I used to play all kinds of sports. And after my um, traumatic brain injury and my sight loss, there was just something that uh, playing rugby was probably not going to happen again. Um, but I think there's other things that we can involve. We can adapt things. We can, um, you know, like using the example of your friend, I think that, um, maybe we have a number one thing that is on our list that really makes us feel good. And when we're healthy and we're motivated and we have a lot of energy, that is the perfect thing. But maybe on those days when we don't have that energy, maybe when we don't have, maybe we didn't get the, the right sleep that night, maybe we need to plan for something that allows us to get out and, and take care of ourselves and uh, do what we need to do in the current circumstances. Do we have to wait until the next big life event to reassess how to stay healthy or vibrant? Or is it something that we can adjust on the fly? I think it's definitely something that we can uh, do on the fly. I think that um, oftentimes we can let it get to these places where we're having a big birthday or we're having, you know, a 10 year reunion or, or whatever it may be, whatever the, the date may be um, before we begin to check in with ourselves and, and assess where we're at. But I think it's something that we can kind of do along the way and, and have kind of honest check-ins with ourselves. And, and for myself, I think one of the big things that I've really, um, you know, let slide is my physical health. And, and I think that I really need to, um, you know, really, really pay that area of my wellness, uh, much more intention. And so yesterday I started off with a nice big walk and I, I felt great, even though the, the lingering effects of the Charlie horse were still around. <laughs> yeah. The healing process isn't quite as easy as when we were young. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I stubbed a couple toes like 10 days ago and I'm still limping around pretty good. So that's, that's, that's the aging process through and through. Uh, Shane, I know in my case, one of my biggest weaknesses is making decisions when I'm under a mental duress. In fact, the majority of the bad decisions I make are when I'm under mental duress. And oftentimes that mental duress comes in times of change. I think specifically about my move from Ottawa to Toronto, where I think I made every wrong decision you could make for about eight straight weeks. So it got me thinking, should we be trying to accomplish recalibrations in those moments of transition? Yeah, I think that um, we need to be careful. I think we need to be careful um, how much we're taking on, whether that's, you know, especially during times of, of transition. Um, but I also think it, this comes back to those those honest check-ins that I, that I talk about. And, um, you know, and, and it's something that I need to kind of put into practice. And I think if we create these periodic check-ins with ourselves and, and, and really be honest with ourselves that we, we will have an opportunity to kind of respond to ourselves 
And I think another thing that's really important to think about when we're when we're you know when we're going through a bit of a transition and and maybe there's some decisions or um, you know or whatever to take into account. I think we need to look at our friends and look at our supports, look at our family, um, you know, look at our partner, um, you know, our, our peers around us, and 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 confide in them and talk to them and in you know even if it's just over a quick coffee and just say you know even if it's just to to get some of that out. Um, you know, because I think that we do need to be careful the kind of decisions that we're making in those in those high stress moments. Um, but I also think there's opportunity for us to um, make these small changes as we go. Shane, just as we're wrapping up this conversation, I know folks in British Columbia are dealing with some significant wildfires. How are you and family and friends holding up? Yeah, thanks for asking, Dave. I, th- I think for myself and my family, um, we are doing well. Every Everybody that we know is safe. Um, with that said, there's a lot of people around us um, who aren't. There's still people who are dealing with evacuations. There's still um, a lot of uncertainty. Um, and so, you know, all I can say is that, um, you know, to all those people impacted by the, the wildfires and um, we're thinking of you and there's a lot of people out there who are, are holding you in our hearts and, and, and we're just hoping for the best for everybody. Shane, we're always grateful for your appearances on this show. Thank you for making time for us this morning and all the best to you and the family. You as well, Dave. That's Shane Baker, a mental health advocate joining us from Vancouver Island. Coming up next, Corinne Van Dusen is going to share the big business story of the day, but first... There's a new photo sharing app. Derek Dennis has the details about Be Real in this edition of Tech Trends. Be Real is a new social media platform which sends out a notification at a random time every day. Users then have two minutes to post a picture using their phone's front and rear-facing camera. Today, across social media, you're usually worried about how you are perceived. Be Real is making you actually show both yourself and your surroundings at any given moment. Ryan Dedert is the CEO of influencer marketing firm Influential. He says Be Real's random notification and strict time limit is meant to capture users' authentic lives. This is actually meant to be something that you can connect with someone on a one-to-one basis. Be Real downloads were up 86% in July, but Deddard says instead of replacing apps like Instagram, Be Real may end up supplementing them. More just, how do I find a break in between my other platforms where I'm not just putting out my aspirational self? With Tech Trends, I'm Derek Dennis, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Let's bring in Corinne Van Dusen for the big business story of the day. So, Corinne, just before you bring in the story that you've got here, we do have some consumer price index, i.e. inflation numbers, out of the United States this morning, which certainly cannot be taken as apples to apples to what's happening in Canada. But I do just want to share these numbers. In terms of year-over-year inflation in the U.S. in the month of July, we're looking at 8.5%. However... Here comes the thing that I do every time we're talking about these inflation numbers. The numbers in June were 9.1%. So there was actually a deceleration in month-over-month price increases, largely driven by decreasing fuel costs. So 
Yes, 8.5% year over year is still a significant, significant inflation. But if you are looking for one piece of optimism out of those numbers, and we'll see if that translates when StatsCan's out with their numbers, we did see a month-over-month reduction of 0.6%. So that is some of the trending data we've seen in the last few months where the Inflation is slowing down, but the sticker shock is still there. Sorry, Corinne, I just wanted to start with that news hook before I jumped into uh, your side of the story here. No, that's all good. It's always uh, good to remind people that, yes, the numbers are big, but if you take them year over year as you have, they are not as big or month over month as, uh, and there is even a decline, as you said. Yeah. So it's definitely uh, good to be reminded because uh, uh, the stories are it's going up, it's going up, it's going up. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so and, 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 it, and it is up and it's hitting people hard mm-hmm. for sure. Right. Like we like we, we can't we can't disregard that. No, no, definitely. But it's always good to bring over uh, up those numbers as well. But uh, there is a story about how Canadian families are struggling with the highest inflation record in nearly 40 years. And uh, while costs are rising, they have hit low income Canadians the hardest because experts say supporting larger households is becoming increasingly difficult as costs rise. And many people say they're suffering sticker shock at the grocery store, uh, some spending more money on basic goods than ever before. And those costs are directly impacting how much they can save for retirement. Uh, experts say some families also supporting aging parents in addition to children, and that also puts a bigger squeeze on finances. So there is a lot of uh, sticker shot when you go grocery shopping, mm-hmm. when you go uh, shopping for for many other things, and when you have um, families to to feed, you have families to support, family members to support, and if it's multi generations living in one house. Uh, yeah, this is a time where, you know, rising costs are going to have uh, people, unfortunately, you know, you got to you got to buy the basics, but you also have to uh, plan for the future. And, and right now is kind of what you have to pay for. Right. Yeah, it's it's tough out there, Corinne. There's there's no doubt about it. Right. Sometimes people uh, maybe shake their fist too hard, but there's no doubt as you're walking through the grocery store, even when you're looking at things that are on sale, you're like, wow, that's way more expensive than it used to be. A couple of weeks ago, I was walking through my local grocery store and boxes of mac and cheese were like three fifty. Right for one mm. box of mac and cheese, three fifty. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that you could find those usually for a dollar as the base price. Let alone when they were on sale, seventy nine, sixty nine cents, give or take. And yeah, sure, you can still find that stuff on sale four for five dollars. As I was walking through yesterday, but even stuff like beans and rice, like stuff mm-hmm. that is supposed to be so stapled and so affordable as ways of which of feeding yourself, that stuff has gone up by like two, three dollars a bag, two, three dollars mm-hmm. a can. It's like what used to be a 99 cent can of, can of beans is now a dollar ninety nine. That's a doubling in price, right? That's not just a simple, okay, the price went up 10%, it's now a dollar nineteen or a dollar twenty nine. And for people using those as absolute staples of their diet and feeding their family, that's really tough. Like we're not talking about bougie items, the fancy cheeses or the fancy bakeries. We're talking about absolute staples. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, fresh produce, frozen produce even. Yeah, as, yeah. Uh, as we've talked about before, that is just as good as fresh produce, but usually cheaper. Now it's not. Um, the one thing that really struck me, because I like we like to buy a lot of fresh fruit. Oh, yeah. Um, mm, when especially, it's this, especially this time of year. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Picked up a bag of cherries uh, and I went to the uh, self-checkout, was going by, and then it came up, weighed the bag of cherries, $20. (laughs) And I thought, does this ring up as something else? Nope. Nope. 
that is how much it costs for cherries. So now I kind of think, you know, is this worth two bags of cherries or (laughs) (laughs) I did, we did put it back. Like I, I, it just was something that I I couldn't wrap my head around paying $20 for cherries. I think, I think peach season has already passed us, but yeah, if I put a bushel of peaches on the thing and it was like $20, you'd be like, I love me some fresh peaches, (laughs) but this, this ain't going to fly. This isn't going to work for me. Um, that's a, a great example, Corinne. And as I said, you know, there's still sales to be found. I bought a bunch of frozen pizzas this week for $1.99 per frozen pizza. I was like delighted. I bought so many. The lady at the grocery store thought I was out of my mind, but I was like, I got to put these in my freezer because you're usually selling these things for $5.99, $6.99. I got to stock up here. So yeah, oh, geez, it, it, yeah. It, it, there's definitely a pressure out there for sure, right? So even when I start reporting the numbers like at, at the top of this and I'm saying, oh, you know, it's a deceleration. Everybody calm down. I understand why nobody mm-hmm. can remain calm mm-hmm. at these times. Like if you cannot make these budgets sit together and you can't feed your family, especially as you point out in the, in the story with the multi-generational homes, like that's a big, big, big problem. And we've seen, of course, food security, food bank use going way up during the course of the pandemic. Generally, these are all really important pressures. Corinne, before I let you go to prepare for the regional news update, when Jeff and I talk about sports in a couple of minutes, we're actually not going to get to the Toronto Blue Jays today, but you are our noted Blue Jays <laughs> fan. I kind of want to take your temperature here because it's been some ups and downs, but recently some scuffles, some fledglingness for the Blue Jays in a battle mm-hmm. of the birds this week in Baltimore. Yep. Um <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to put this because I'm usually the most positive person. And there was a Jays game that on I didn't watch this whoa, week. Whoa, whoa, Corinne, I just, are you okay? I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So, uh, but but Baltimore's a dark horse, right? No they one expected are. them to come out this way. But but we're picking up, as you said. Bo Bichette hit two home runs last night. Um, uh, Guriel has the longest hit streak going with 20 games right now. People are coming back. We just got Jackie Bradley Jr. That's a nice pickup. For up. a year contract. That's a nice um, pickup. Yeah. So I was, I'm not surprised that we're having trouble against Baltimore. It's going to be a tough second half of the season because we're yeah. playing them a ton. We're playing, the, uh, they're playing the Yankees a ton. Um, and, you know, there's, it's the dog days of baseball where there's a lot of baseball, but there's not a lot of baseball left. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's the thing. It feels like, oh, there's still forever left in the baseball season. We're down to like the last seven weeks or so. And it's not as if the Jays are not in a very precarious position. There are a lot of teams scuffling around that wild card Mm -hmm. spot and they can't keep dropping series. They dropped a series to the Twins. They're in the process of dropping a series to the Orioles. As you mentioned, they have the Yankees on deck. The Orioles are coming to Toronto next week. It's, it's, It's tough sledding out there. The Seattle Mariners, although the Yankees have had their way with them in Seattle this week, the Seattle Mariners are a good team. The Cleveland Guard are playing well. The Chicago White Sox, Sox still sniffing around, although they're they're struggling a little bit. There's a lot of good teams in the American League, and the Jays are not exactly comfy cozy. I do like that you brought up the addition of Jackie Bradley Jr., the trade for Whit Merrifield last week. It does look like management has identified, we are not pushing enough runs across the plate. Let's mm-hmm. go get guys who can run the base paths and get on base. Yeah, it uh, seems like something that's kind of counterintuitive because you think, well, we got Springer and we got Guriel and we have Whitfield and now Jackie Bradley Jr. Springer's injured right now. He's fragile. On, uh, He's fragile. You know, as I like to say, for his LB bone, as they call that in The <laughs> Simpsons. <bone. laughs> um, but and people are saying, well, aren't we supposed to be pumping up pitching? Why are we putting everyone in the outfield? You know, if you can't get the pitchers that you need. You have to work with what you got. Score and runs. Fill out everywhere else. Yeah. Yep. Score runs. Hey, Corinne, thank you for this. I'm always glad to check in on the Blue Jays with you. 
Oh, thanks. I'll watch the game tonight. And I did stay up through the rain delay yesterday, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it turns out Blue Jays don't like rain. Uh, Corinne, thank you for this. That's Corinne Van Dusen. She'll be back for the regional news update in a couple of minutes. But I want to share a couple of news stories with you to wrap up the hour. Let's start in the world of politics, where Pierre Poiliev remains the heavy favorite to be the next Conservative Party leader in the most recent polling. Mia Rabson looks at the numbers. A new Leger poll conducted in collaboration with the Association for Canadian Studies suggests more than 4 in 10 Conservative voters believe Pierre Poiliev would make the best party leader. His chief rival, Jean Charest, is backed by fewer than 1 in 5. But among all Canadians polled, Charest comes out ahead with 22% support compared with 16% for Poiliev. Also, more than one in four Canadians told Leger a Polyev victory would make them less likely to vote Conservative, while one in five said that about Charest. Mia Rabson, The Canadian Press, Ottawa. And let's come to an Ontario story, where Ontario's Municipal Affairs and Housing Minister Steve Clark is set to introduce legislation today that would give leaders of large municipalities in the province new powers as a way to get housing built more quickly. Karen Rebo looks ahead. Without any mention of this plan on the spring campaign trail, Premier Doug Ford recently said he is planning a strong mayor system for Toronto and Ottawa and is considering expanding that to other cities later. Ford indicated through his government's throne speech yesterday that strong mayor systems will give municipalities more tools to get things done. It'll let municipal leaders reduce timelines for development, standardize processes and address local barriers to increasing housing supply. He has previously said two-thirds of of a council would be able to overrule a mayor under such a system. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press, Toronto. Okay, let's look at some politics south of the border. As you know, I try not to overly bombard you with Donald Trump-related news, but there are a bunch of stories related to the former president. So let's begin with the timeline of the FBI's raid of former U.S. President Donald Trump becoming a bit more clear. Reporter Ike Ajachi has more from Washington. The former president's sworn testimony follows a months-long court fight during which Trump was held in contempt as he fought the attorney general's subpoena. On social media, Trump previewed his deposition, writing, seeing racist New York State attorney general for what he called a continuation of the greatest witch hunt in U.S. history. The state attorney general, Letitia James, who is black, is leading a three-year civil investigation into whether Trump misled banks, insurance companies, and tax authorities by providing them financial statements that improperly valued his real estate assets. Aaron Katursky, ABC News, New York. I put so many Trump-related stories in this newscast, they got crossed up a little bit. So that was a story brought to you by Aaron Katursky talking about some questioning that Donald Trump is facing in New York in regard to his real estate dealings. Uh, Grace, I don't know if we can actually backtrack or maybe I just put the wrong clip in for the Ike, uh, Ike Ajachi story in regards to the FBI raid. Do we have that? Okay, great. Let's, let's listen to the Ike Ajachi story about the FBI raid. The FBI gave the Secret Service members stationed at Mar-a-Lago 45 minutes notice. The Secret Service only alerted resort staff moments before the FBI agents arrived. A staffer then alerted the former president's son, Eric, who told his father. Sources say the search was related to allegations that the former president improperly removed documents when he left the White House. Documents brought to Mar-a-Lago that are believed to include classified material. The president issuing a new statement late yesterday calling the search a horrible thing and a coordinated attack by Democrats. Okay, so I've actually got one more story for you relating to Donald Trump. Adding to the legal woes, an appeals court has ruled the U.S. Congress can get access to Trump's track records. Mike Gracia has that story. 
A federal appeals court has agreed with the lower court ruling saying Congress can access former President Donald Trump's tax returns. A three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit agreed with U.S. District Judge Trevor McFadden, a Trump appointee, who in a December ruling said the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee has broad authority to request the records. The House Ways and Means panel first requested Trump's tax returns in 2019. Under the Trump administration, the Justice Department defended a decision by then-Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin to withhold the tax returns from Congress. Mnuchin argued the records were being sought by Democrats for partisan reasons. Mike Gracia, Washington. As I mentioned to you before I shared those three stories, I, don't, I try not to bombard you with the avalanche of Donald Trump-related news because sometimes it is just pearl-clutching or people just shaking their fists. But all three of those are interesting, concrete news stories dealing with legal woes of the former president. So I wanted to put that together as they've all emerged inside the last 24 hours, which just speaks to perhaps a trend here of investigations that followed up since the former president gave up that kind of executive power that he had. And it speaks to the fact that he is allegedly planning to run again in 2024. So you're starting to see these things congeal. But what you're also starting to see is some pressure creating and pushing the other way of some of his supporters saying, witch hunt, witch hunt. Or also one of the quotes that jumped out at me yesterday, if they can do this to Donald Trump, they could do this to anyone. And my response to that is, well, that's the rule of law and that's fundamental to democracy. Nobody gets to be above the law. Okay, let's wrap up the hour on something a little bit more positive. A longtime commercial operator says sockeye salmon returns on the northwest BC's Skeena River have been the best he's seen in more than 40 years in the industry. Mitch Dudaward says he had a great fishing season, but he believes there was enough salmon in the river to continue fishing until the end of August. We had a good year, yeah. I yeah, I put in I put in a, a fairly large number of sockeye, but for um, for them to just stop us altogether, there's no there's no um, yeah, there's no scientific reason um, except that they're afraid that we're going to hurt other stocks. Fisheries and Oceans Canada says sockeye salmon returns to the Skeena are higher than expected this year, but the department is taking precautions to protect other species. And in other salmon news, I'm on the salmon beat. We go from the Trump beat to the salmon beat. First Nations Wild Salmon Alliance spokesman Bob Chamberlain says thousands of pink salmon are returning to an area along BC's central coast after years of minimal returns. When you get a fish run down to just a couple hundred fish, you're so close to extinction you don't want to breathe. And then now as a result of removing those farms, that we now have a few thousand coming back. And I'm not sure the total number yet, but I've seen video footage and, and I've heard from a lot of people saying, sure, it's nice to see the fish jumping again. Yeah, Chamberlain points to the increase after two open net salmon farms were shut down in the Bond Sound area two years ago. Grace Scofield, I want to bring you in on this one real quickly. I don't know if you like eating fish, but... I give you the choice of salmon or tuna. What's your pick? Ooh, are we talking like a sushi situation here? We could be talking a sushi situation, a sandwich situation, a, a, a fish steak situation. Okay, I'm going to go with salmon. I do love salmon. I have not been brave enough to cook salmon on my own yet, but I do love salmon over tuna. Yeah, I think I, I, think I also land on salmon over tuna, but tuna is so much easier to get your hands on in the canned tin form also, for sandwiches. Also that, but a good canned salmon 
is fine. Like a salmon sandwich. Oh, yeah. A salmon mm. sa- salad sandwich. Mm-hmm. Tongue twister. Mm-hmm. Say that 12 times fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> those are also good. I'll take one of those any day. Well, let's see what the people out in listener land and the viewer vortex have to say in regards to salmon versus tuna. Of course, they can re- reach out to the show anytime they like and offer feedback, sometimes in these binary choices. The opportunity is there for you as well. Feedback at AMI.ca is the email address. Feedback at AMI.ca. At AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter or 1-866-509-4545 is where you give us phone calls. 1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break, we have the regional news update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back to the August 10th edition of Now with Dave Brown in the year 2022. Of course, we're coming to you all over the AMI family of networks and the audio and TV and podcast and online form. Thank you for making time to be with us today. Coming up in the second hour of the show, a parent has developed a smart webcam that can detect when their infant is showing signs of hunger. Mike Agarbo fills you in on that story. And entertainment critic Michael McNeely reviews the Netflix animated film, The Sea Beast. It's a good name for a movie. A couple years ago, I was trying to lose some weight for a wedding. And I called it Operation Sea Monster because I didn't look, I didn't want to look a sea monster in my friend's wedding photos. It was good motivation. Let's bring in Corinne Van Dusen. She's got the regional news update. Thanks, Dave. We'll start in British Columbia, where Vancouver police say several officers were assaulted after arresting a man near a tent encampment being dismantled in the city's downtown east side. Police say staff at a nearby community center called to report a man throwing computers and behaving erratically. They say he resisted arrest and a large crowd gathered and became combative with the officers. Vancouver Fire Chief Karen Fry last month ordered four blocks of tents to be dismantled, citing an extreme fire and safety risk. Moving to the prairies, where Alberta's cannabis regulator will allow pot shops to take down window coverings after a spate of robberies. In a letter sent to retailers yesterday, the Alberta Gaming, Liquor and Cannabis Commission says violence and weapons have been used in some of the robberies, and it was concerned for the safety of staff, customers and police officers. High Tide Inc., which owns pot shop chain Canna Cabana, says it welcomes the policy change. Omar Khan with High Tide says complying with the window covering regulations made pot shops prime targets for criminal elements. Attendance at Regina's Queen City X was the highest in the fair's 138-year existence, with 278,306 people walking through the gates during the five-day event. Attendance numbers were up by 18% for the fair in 2019 and also beat numbers from the 2021 eight-day fair. The year also had other record-breaking numbers, with more than 15,000 flapjacks flipped for the Sask Milk Family Day Pancake Breakfast and more than 7,700 people at the two-night Pile of Bones Rodeo. If you want to take in part next year, it runs from August 2nd to 6th. In Ontario, the province is set to introduce legislation today to give the mayors of some big cities expanded powers in what the province is, says is a bid to get housing built quickly. Premier Doug Ford indicated in Tuesday's throne speech that the strong mayor system will let municipal leaders reduce timelines for development and overcome barriers to increase the housing supply. But the system has also been criticized by some city councillors who say it can concentrate authority in the mayor's office at the expense of local representation. 
The premier has previously said two-thirds of a council would be able to overrule a mayor under such circumstances. Ontario Nursing Union are criticizing the government's throne speech for what they say is a lack of a clear plan to tackle the current health care crisis. Registered Nurses Association of Ontario says the government's response is out of step with what it called a massive shortfall of nurses in the province, while the Ontario Nurses Association slammed the government's continued cap on nurses' wages. Premier Doug Ford says the government is working to address short-term stressors on the health care system, while noting long-term investments in integrated care and mental health and addictions. Health hospitals across the province have reported recurring temporary emergency room closures for months as they struggle with staffing shortages. In Atlantic Canada, officials say the forest fires ravaging central Newfoundland began on July 24th with a lightning strike. As of yesterday, the Provincial Forestry Department says the two largest fires encompass an area of more than 162 square kilometres. The fires remain out of control. The Bay Despair Highway has been plagued with intermittent closures since the fires began, as efforts continue to assist with a shortage of supplies in stranded communities along the island's south coast. And public consultations on Nova Scotia's aquaculture regulations are now underway. People can provide feedback through an online survey with six open-ended questions until September 6th. Since December, the province has been holding discussions with the industry on how to best improve regulations that have been in place since 2015. According to the province, there are 235 marine and land-based aquaculture sites in Nova Scotia that employ nearly 900 people and contribute $90 million per year to the economy. And those are your regional news headlines. Thank you very much, Corinne. Let's bring in Jeff Ryman for a sports chat. So there's some big news coming out of the tennis world. Tennis star Serena Williams says she plans on stepping away from the sport soon to focus on her family. The 23-time Grand Slam champion is competing in Toronto this week. It appears this year's U.S. Open will be her last tournament. We have some reaction from several prominent tennis players, including Canada's Bianca Indrescu, saying she hopes Williams will somehow still be in her future. Hopefully I can build a relationship with her and maybe... Um, get some tips of how she manages to, you know, kill it on tour uh, at one point. But, uh, yeah, I'm just so shocked that she's retiring, honestly. I'm going to miss watching her play. The 11th-ranked player in the world, Coco Goff, said Williams is the reason she played the sport. Yeah, for me, I, mean, I grew up watching her. I mean, that's the reason why I played tennis. And, you know, tennis being a predominantly white sport, it, it definitely helped a lot because um, I saw somebody look like me dominating the game and it made me believe that I could dominate too. Canada's Vasek Pospisil played against Serena in mixed doubles at the 2015 Hopman Cup. He says she'll be greatly missed from the tennis scene. Yeah, sad for, for tennis, of course, that, um, that she's retiring. She's, uh, you know... One of the greatest players of, uh, in the history of our sport. So, yeah, well, tennis will miss her for sure. So, Jeff, just yesterday on the show, I was saying, ah, you know, you can't get me geeked up for this tournament, not at least until the semifinals or the weekend. And all of a sudden, this bombshell drops from Serena Williams in action in Toronto tonight. Does this change your interest level in the tournament? Oh, Jeff's on mute. There we uh, go. We got Jeff. We got Jeff. Sorry, buddy. I think just a little bit here, Dave. Um... Uh, obviously she's one of the all-time greats men or women and she's been such an anchor and a staple for women's tennis and you heard i mean coco goss said it was 
um, you know, something that she looked up to. She finally saw somebody who looked like her play the sport that she wanted to play, and she pursued it. So I love that. And to, to answer your question, yeah, I think it does a little bit. It's almost like when um, some athletes go on their goodbye tours. You know, I, I'm thinking, you know, the Derek Jeter goodbye tour and, you know, all, all those all-time greats who go on their goodbye tours. If you really want to see her, you should probably go down sooner than later because she, she, she sort of left it open-ended. She mentioned the U.S. Open could be, but we're still not quite 100% sure. But... Um, yeah, she's going to be greatly missed, Dave, and um, very well-spoken as well. And I hope, and I know she said she's going to be focusing on her family for the next, uh, for the foreseeable future, and rightfully so. But I kind of hope she squeezes her way into a broadcast uh, squad at, at some point, maybe down the road somewhere, because I feel like she would be such a superb person to have on TV. So, yeah, Dave, I, I think uh, this is definitely enticing to watch. Um, here for the, the Canadian side of things uh, with with uh, the Canadian Open going on and then obviously with uh, the U.S. Open in just a couple of weeks as well. Yeah, I uh, will not be going down to the tournament tonight. It's a school night, for goodness sakes. I can't be uh, going out <laughs> on a Wednesday. But if she advances after playing tonight, I am going to have to give some serious consideration to going down this weekend to take in this tournament. Uh, at the very least, make sure to take some time to watch it on TV. I know the sacrifice, the sacrifice. But we're talking about not just one of the greatest tennis players of all time we're talking about one of the greatest athletes of all time on the Mount Rushmore mm. for all athletes and Serena Williams has been at this for a long long time won her first major in 1999 so you and I are always uh, talking about how much Tom Brady blows us away I think uh, Serena Williams takes the cake yeah. on that one so this is one where I'm needed to make my way down to this tournament uh, this weekend if she continues to advance just to make just to say I saw one of the goats you know I've seen Mario Lemieux play hockey in person. I've seen Wayne Gretzky play hockey in person. Uh, still waiting still waiting on Sidney Crosby. Uh, I've seen Connor McDavid in person. I've seen Barry Bonds play baseball in person. I've seen Roger Clemens. These are the all-time greats and this is something I need to make the time to go do. So this may be uh, an agenda item that I didn't know was popping up on me this week. Jeff, speaking of agenda items... Yesterday, I told you, eh, not too excited about the World Juniors, but I'll probably check in on the Czechia-Slovakia game at 2 p.m. Eastern time on TSN. Yeah. And it delivered, man. That was a banger. 6-5 yep. final score, lead changes, swaying back and forth. Incredible game between Czechia and Slovakia. Well, Jeff, tonight the Canadian team gets underway with a matchup against Latvia. And yesterday, you and I more lamented the players who wouldn't be there. But I need your help, Jeff. Who are the players yeah. who will be there for Canada tonight that I should be looking out for? Yeah, the, the, well, there's a couple that stand out. Uh, I think uh, first and foremost, Connor Bedard, uh, potential first overall pick next year, had 50 goals in the WHL as a 16-year-old. I think that's going to catch everybody's attention. He obviously had a great game. I forget who it was against, but it was their second game uh, before the uh, before the tournament got cancelled in the winter. And he had like three or four goals or something like that. It was just ridiculous to see a 16-year-old at this level playing against guys who are 19 and 20 years old and score a hat-trick. Just an absurd amount of skills. But I think Connor Bedard is definitely going to have the spotlight on him, especially with the guys we mentioned yesterday out of the lineup. He's going to have an even bigger role because 
he was playing on the third and fourth line, uh, you know, in December. So I'm curious to see how big, uh, uh, how big of a role he's going to have. So Connor Bedard, number one, but also a really close second here, Dave, is Mason McTavish. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we've talked about him a little bit on our network, but he's had a crazy year and a half. I mean, the 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 pandemic obviously disrupted things. Um, so he played in Switzerland. Then he got drafted to the NHL, played in the NHL. Then he got sent down to the AHL, played in the AHL. Got sent back to the OHL, played with Peterborough. Got traded from Peterborough, played in Hamilton. And then he went to the Olympics. And now he's at the World Juniors again. So the, the, the amount of uh, teams this guy has played on in the last 18 months or so is just ridiculous. So, uh, you know, that's one of the storylines I like to follow is, you know, this is just another team in the books for, for Mason McTavish. Mm -hmm. And not to mention, the guy has an absolute cannon of a shot. Third overall pick to the Anaheim Ducks a couple years back. He's a... Uh, He's the real deal here, Dave. So I'm excited to see him tonight as well. There's some speculation that he is going to crack the Anaheim Ducks big roster this year, that he was really close last year, but they sent him down yeah. to protect his uh, entry-level contract. But there's some yeah. talk that a very young emerging team like Anaheim is going to have him as their second or third line center as early as this year. So this could be just a little bit of a getting in shape for training camp stuff for Mason McTavish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you mentioned he almost made it out of training camp. I believe he scored in his first NHL game as well. Yeah, uh, he did. And he was he he's got the body. He he's a bigger guy. He he's got the skill. He's sort of that modern day power forward that you, you like to see. Maybe not the tallest guy, but he's got that width. He's got he's got a good amount of mass on him. So, um, and like I said, his shot is NHL ready. And with the Anaheim Ducks seemingly unloading everybody, um, they really need a refresh. They're in a rebuild. I still think they even need to hit the cap floor there, Dave, too. So I think they need to make a couple more signings. But it totally <laughs> makes sense for him to make the NHL and uh, adapt to that lifestyle because I think he's basically done it all at pretty much every level. Like I mentioned, he's played pretty much everywhere over the last uh, year and a bit. So... I, I would I would suspect that he would make the NHL right out of the gate next year. Well, lucky for Anaheim and their GM, Pat Verbeek, there's still 12 teams over the salary cap right now in the NHL, and they've got to Ooh. get that number under by October the 1st. So there could be some teams coming calling with the little draft pick sweeteners yep. to take our expensive contracts to get you up to the cap floor. Uh, Jeff, 6 p.m. Eastern time, Canada versus Latvia tonight. What do you think? Uh, I'm putting the over-under at 8.5 goals for Team Canada. What do you think? Oh, that's going to be close. Um, I'm going to go under. I'm going to go under because it's the first game I feel like they need to adapt the chemistry. It's also in the middle of the summer, so I have no idea what these guys' conditioning are like. I'm sure they will win. Um, I'm just not sure if those, they're going to get eight and a half or more. Finland uh, beat them 6-1 last night, beat uh, Team Latvia. So Latvia coming on the back-to-back, -back, so the legs could either be really... Uh really duddy today although you know uh, 19, 19 year olds never have never have dud legs 19 year olds no. have energy for day no. i miss being 19 i had so much energy but uh, yeah i think I, i'm gonna take the over i think canada might be out to make a little bit of a statement here tonight good game at 2 p.m eastern time as well the swedes and the swiss going after Ooh. it switzerland one of these sneaky good hockey yeah. nations right they're not in the top i wouldn't put them in the top five but i would say they're right there sort of the number six team in the world yeah 
Yeah, they're definitely sneaking up there, Dave. Uh, I would say Switzerland and Germany are those teams to really watch in the next couple of years. They've really upped their development. And I've, I've seen it coming from Switzerland for the last decade or so. I believe they beat Team Canada at one point at the Olympics in like 2006. And I was thinking, Switzerland? Yeah. And ever since then, they've been churning out great NHL players as well. So uh, Switzerland, definitely an up-and-comer in Germany. Uh, boy, they're going to be good too in the future. Yeah, the German team favored by two and a half goals tonight against the Austrians, which I know the Austrians are not exactly a hockey powerhouse, but it does it does let you know where people are perceiving Germany as a hockey nation right now as a two and a half goal yep. favorite. That's significant. Yeah, absolutely. And Austria, another one. Uh, they're, they're slowly starting to get it going too. A couple more Austrians making their way into the NHL as well. <laughs> people who are familiar <laughs> with snow turning out to be good at hockey. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it? Who, who knew? Who, who knew? knew? <laughs> who knew? Hey, Jeff, thanks for this, man. Enjoy uh, the World Juniors as they continue to roll on. You too. See you tomorrow. That is Jeff Ryman. He's at the AMI Sports Desk, the World Junior Hockey Championship, continuing coverage on TSN starting this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern time when the Sw- Team Sweden plays Team Switzerland. An exciting one over there. And then, yeah, as mentioned, 6 p.m. Eastern time tonight, Canada and Latvia. So put in your order for a pizza right now. Let's go back to Grace Scofield. She's at the Weather Desk. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's clearing up this morning with a high of 23 degrees. In Charlottetown, it's mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of showers and a high of 21 degrees. In St. John, it's mainly cloudy today with a high of 21 degrees. Over in Quebec City, it's mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers early this morning and a high of 21 degrees. In Toronto, a mix of sun and cloud that will clear up late this morning with a high of 28 degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie, a mix of sun and cloud today with a 30% chance of showers this morning. It'll become sunny this afternoon with a high of 24 degrees. Over in Brandon, Manitoba, it's mainly sunny today with a high of 23 degrees. In Regina, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud near noon, with a high of 25 degrees. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy today, with a 30% chance of showers early this morning, and a high of 30 degrees. In Red Deer, Alberta, a mix of sun and cloud, becoming sunny this morning, with a high of 31 degrees. Up in Whitehorse, it's cloudy today, with some rain beginning early this morning into the afternoon, with a high of 12 degrees. In Kelowna, BC, it's mainly cloudy, with a 40% chance of showers in the afternoon, with a risk of a thunderstorm, and a high of 30 degrees. And in Vancouver, BC, it's mainly cloudy, with a 40% chance of showers late in the afternoon, and a high of 24 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up next, a parent has developed a smart webcam that can detect when their infant is showing signs of hunger. Mike Agarbo of the App Show will fill you in on that one. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's bring in Mike Agarbo to talk about what's happening in the world of technology. Mike is the host of the app show, which you can find Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. And I'm always genuinely curious on where we find Mike Agarbo. Mike, where in the world is Mike Agarbo today? Home in Vancouver. That's a boring answer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the matrix. How was your trip to Toronto? It all went well? Yeah, it was good. Uh, had a good time. I haven't been there for uh, a while, so it was nice to get uh, back there. Well, glad you had safe travels in your home safely and enjoying some summertime in Vancouver. Finally, finally some summertime in Vancouver for Mike Agarbo. Mike, let's uh, jump into some news here where Amazon announced that their purchase of iRobot, the company behind the Roomba robot vacuums. Mike, how much did Amazon fork out for these iRobots and for these these Roombas? Only $1.9 billion. Oh, a bargain. Uh, so, yeah, not, not too bad. I think that's probably couch change for Amazon, but uh, now they own uh, all their robots. <laughs> they own all the robots. What do you think uh, the implications might be here and where, where their plans may be for uh, Roomba and iRobots? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they are getting into robots. Uh, they do have that personal robot, uh, Astro, uh, that follows you around uh, your home and, and uh, you know gives you security. Uh, but uh, with the uh, the Roombas now, um, they've uh, basically got these uh, robots that uh, kind of meander around your home, obviously cleaning, uh, whether that's mopping or, or vacuuming. Uh, but these robots are also mapping your house uh, as well, kind of creating a, a detailed uh uh, overlay of uh, how your house is laid out. So I think it's, you know, obviously one thing uh, to make money on selling the robots and it does fit into their whole robot vision. Uh, but I think the the data is important to them as well. Yeah, to me, part of this is about saying, why are we going to build something from the ground up when a lot of this technology already exists? Why don't we integrate something else into our mix? We can afford the $1.9 billion. We've been shipping a lot of toilet paper to people over the last couple of years and canned food goods to people for the last couple of of years why don't we just say it's going to cost us way too much research and development to build our own let's just use somebody else's I think so. I mean, you look at uh, some of the purchases they've made over the years, uh, you know, Ring, uh, that whole security system, mm-hmm. Blink, which mm-hmm. they've tied in, uh, which is security systems uh, as well. And who knows what they're going to be adding to these uh, iRobots, I the Roombas. They could potentially add uh, more surveillance type capabilities to them uh, as as well. Their Astro Robot has that now, too. It's like a, a little... Uh, kind of uh, Android uh, robot looking uh, thing on, on wheels. It has a camera built in to uh, do surveillance in your home. So it wouldn't be that difficult to kind of add that feature to the, uh, the Roombas. I think part of this also has to be about acquiring an industry leader, right? That you're talking about, I, but at least to my, to my estimation, right? As a bit of a layman, I would say that iRobot and Roomba is the leader in that industry, right? They're, 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 the, they're the Kleenex, they're the Coke. You're, you're buying a brand name here that people trust. Uh, you really are. I mean, uh, if I look at some of the competitors, the only ones I can think of would be uh, the Ninja folks with their uh, their shark uh, robots. Uh, so uh, iRobot definitely just dominates the, uh, the the category. And I know $1.9 billion sounds like a lot. It really isn't in the big scheme of things for Amazon. <laughs> billion dollars here, a billion dollars there. Soon we're talking about real money. Uh, Mike, yeah. one last question here. And I think, uh, I think Paul Daniel's looking for a stock tip in the way that he phrases this. Do you have any idea on what Amazon plans to do in terms of future acquisitions? Uh, I'm going to dial half my stockbroker's number right now. <laughs> I wish I knew what they were going to, to do. I mean, this particular uh, purchase 
wasn't a big surprise for me, but I would look to anything, uh, you know, especially around the home uh, when it comes to robotics, uh, anything more on, uh, you know, security and surveillance uh, as well and, and networking, keeping all these devices uh, connected. Mike, let's go from the really big scale to something on a smaller scale. A new father has developed a new smart webcam that detects when his infant child is showing signs of hunger. So this is a really good idea. How does it work? This is kind of interesting. Uh, his name is Caleb Olson, and he's done this kind of stuff before. He uh, uh, figured a way to uh, monitor his dog's pooping on his lawn through uh, webcams. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but now he's obviously got a baby, so he's thinking, hey, how can I use machine learning and webcams to figure out when uh, the baby is hungry? And it's actually quite interesting using machine learning uh, and the camera facing at the baby. What he's trying to do is determine when the baby is hungry before it starts crying. So he's taken in a few factors, you know, whether uh, the baby is kind of moving its head back and forth, uh, you know, if it's taking its pacifier out, if it's putting its uh, little uh, little fists into its mouth. And using kind of a, a scale, it's uh, taking all of those factors and giving a score uh, and then sending him an alert when that score is high enough. I know the sample size on this is quite small, but did he offer any kind of indication on how accurate this is? Uh, he said it's, uh, you know, a work in progress. I don't think it's 100% accuracy uh, on this uh, yet, but uh, it's kind of interesting just the ability to use machine learning uh, and the tools with a webcam to uh, to try to figure this uh, out. So he says uh, it's, again, not 100% by any stretch, and he's just continuing to work on it. And I imagine along those lines, because it's not 100% and because the stakes would be rather high here, I can't imagine he has plans to make this commercially available. I don't think so. I think it's more kind of a hobby uh, for him. But I can imagine all those other uh, webcam companies out there trying to figure a way uh, to monetize, uh, you know, a feature uh, like this. I mean, they already can kind of detect kind of, uh, you know, humans from cars or humans from animals. Uh, so uh, this wouldn't be a huge stretch. Mike, let's wrap up on something of a health story. We're looking at researchers from the University of Buffalo who've developed Ear Health, an experimental pair of earbuds that can detect inner ear infections. Seems like, again, a, a very utilitarian cause here, but how does it work? This is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, they're kind of using some off-the-shelf uh, uh, earbuds uh, and, and even Bluetooth ones, but it's uh, more down to uh, the microphone uh, that uh, that they're putting uh, in, into these uh, these head, uh, headphones and earbuds. Basically, they send a, a clicking noise to get a baseline, uh, you know, into your ear, down to the ear canal. And then after that, uh, you know, they're constantly sending these, uh, these clicks. And uh, the clicks can basically determine a number of different things. Uh, they can determine earwax uh, blockage. Uh, they can also uh, detect if there's any problems with the, uh, the eardrum uh, itself. And, and even things uh, like infections. Uh, I guess when you get an infection, it obviously kind of swells up uh, the, uh, the ear canal. But really kind of interesting uh, technology. And uh, hopefully we'll see this uh, uh, type of thing uh, in, in our wearables in the future. You mentioned that they're using off-the-shelf earbuds. Are, are they making modifications or what kind of modifications are they making to these off-the-shelf earbuds? 
From what I understand right now, it's uh, basically the the microphone itself. I guess it's a much more sensitive microphone. And then they're using essentially machine learning. Uh, you know, as they're getting that data, you know, the clicks uh, that are, are being sent uh, into the, uh, the ear canal, they're using machine learning uh, learning to figure out, uh, you know, things like distance and, and other, uh, you know, variables uh, to determine if there are any infections. Mike, that appears to be the common thread across all three of these topics. Machine learning and AI is here, whether we like it or not it's coming for us man <laughs> those robots are always on the march hey mike glad to hear you're back home in vancouver safe and sound enjoy a beautiful summer day and we'll talk to you again in a, uh, next week thank you that's mike agarbo he's the host of the app show you can find that program saturdays at 11 a.m eastern time on ami audio coming up after the break you can find entertainment critic michael mcneely sharing his thoughts on the netflix animated film the sea beast Movie review coming your way on Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's a special edition of AMI at the Movies with Michael McNeely, our entertainment critic. Today, he's got a review of the Netflix film, The Sea Beast. And Michael joins us from Kingston, Ontario. Hey, good morning, Michael. Good morning. Are you scared of the sea beast? (laughs) I'm uh, always a little bit concerned about sea beasts. I'm not super psyched about sharks and jellyfish. Michael, without giving too much away, give me some background on the plot of the sea beast. Well, in a kingdom called Three Rivers, there's a king and a queen, and the king and the queen have put a bounty on the sea beast. So that means they want the sea beast killed because they're making it seem like the sea beast is a threat to the kingdom. To meet that call, we have a captain and his trusted crew setting out to fight the sea beast, just like Moby Dick, and the captain is very much obsessed with destroying this beast. But that's not all, because we have an orphan, an orphan girl who who dreams of being a hunter, who dreams of fighting sea beasts, and she sneaks on that boat. Oh my, what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) So this is an animated film that has a bunch of voice actors involved in it. Tell me about a couple of the stars, Zeris Angel Hattor and Shannon Chen Kent. Yes, so Angel is the, um, so Zeris Angel Hattor, is the main character. Um, she's the orphan. She plays the voice. She gives the voice of the orphan, um, and she is pretty impressive because she was Matilda herself in the uh, in the UK productions, I believe, of that uh, musical. And so I watched. I watched Matilda in Toronto, but I didn't get to see her. But I think she would have been wonderful to see. Um, so she's also been in movies, which I hope we can forgive because that movie did not do very well. Um, she was also in Black Earth Rise and Victoria. So she's still getting her start in television, but uh, I, I, I expect great things for her. Um, next, we have Shannon Chan Kent. Um, 
she is Canadian. She is from British Columbia, if I'm not mistaken. She was born in Vancouver, and she has been in many shows that we have watched. She's doing the voice for Sonic. I'm not for Sonic. I'm not sure what character she is in Sonic, but it's the Sonic TV show. Um, and let's see here. In addition to the Sea Beast, she did voices for... No, she was the film director in Fast and Furious, Spy Racers, which is a television series. I had no idea about that. Um, she was an ew as Kiki, and she was in Another Life as Ayawa. So I've seen some of those shows, and she was also in Corner Gas, animated, just like any other good Canadian actor must be. Um, so that's what I have. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty uh, impressive biographies for both of them there. What did you think of the animation in this film? Did you find the film visually appealing? I did. But I will also be talking to you about how hard it was for me to follow sometimes. So, but let's first, let's stick with the question that you asked. The visual appeal is that the kingdom looks very colorful. The water looks very blue, which is always a great thing. Um, especially if you think about swimming in Toronto, you, you definitely want the water to be blue. Um, and I would say that the islands and the monsters and the setting is extremely colorful and interesting to look at. As we zoom out and think a little bit more about the genre, what is it that makes a family film stand out? I would also like to ask you that same question, Dave. But for me, I think a family film is really something that you can talk to your family about after you've watched the film. And I do think that this this movie, The Sea Beast, meets that definition. It's going to raise a lot of conversations about hunting, about trying to kill sea beasts or beasts in general that may not be doing any harm to anybody. And what to do if you if you if your conscience is telling you that you're doing something bad and you don't want to continue doing that anymore? Yeah, I agree with you. It's about conversations and it's about lessons. When I think about one of my favorite modern kids movies, is the first Shrek, and oh. that's all about being beautiful on the inside, and that's a lesson that's really good for kids but it's also a really good reminder for adults to perpetually be thinking about beauty from the inside. Yes, I, I do agree with you about Shrek. I think also Shrek with the updated fairy tales, and it really paved the way for everybody to continue doing the same. Because, you know, me, and you know what, it's the same in this movie, because in Shrek it was about killing the dragon, but in all fairness, the dragon became a great friend and lover to donkey, if I'm not mistaken. But here, it's about killing the sea beast. And we, the sea beast doesn't really deserve to be killed. Mm. So let's come back to the sea beast. Would you say this is a fun for the whole family film? Might it be a little bit scary for little children? I think it's not scary. I, I watched it. Um, I think I... I think it's just an adventure. It's just an adventure film. I mean, there may be some kids that are not comfortable with the idea of killing. Um, there is some killing of beasts at the beginning as part of the crew's missions, but ultimately they come to realize that they need to question their behavior. And so I think, you know, if 
You know, for example, if you're watching movies and you're watching shows about pirates, about stress buckling, about adventurers, about dragons, it all comes with the territory. So I think it would be okay for people that are used to those kinds of things. What did you like most about the Sea Beast and what do you think could be improved? So to answer that question, um, I think I would like to have a um, descriptive video or descriptive audio version of this of this film because there were times where I just couldn't keep up with the action where I was confused about what was going on because everything was moving so quickly. Um, so I think that may be a challenge for some children or some adults who have vision loss and they may want to know what's going on. So I would really hope that they can be they can have um, accommodations provided to them for these for this movie. So overall, what's the score you would give this film? I have to respectfully um, abstain because I didn't really get the full impact of those action scenes. So I will um, just simply say that I think this is a good film. I think this is a film that has a lot to offer but I just want to see it made more accessible to members of our community. Inconclusive grade being offered up here by Michael McNeely. I think that's our first ever incomplete on one of these reviews. Hey, Michael, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Well, I mean, you've got to be harnessed. I know you probably have dishonest weather men or weather women, but you can never have a dishonest phone critic. <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth through and through. The king of authenticity. It's Michael McNeely, our entertainment critic, joining us from Kingston, Ontario, offering up a review of the Netflix film, The Sea Beast. The film is rated PG. Coming up after the break, you and I are going to find out together. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's look ahead to this afternoon when Kelly and Company hits the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Ramya Amuthan is the co-host of that show and joins us now with a preview. Hey, good morning, Ramya. Morning, Dave. How's it going? Not too shabby. Ramya, I'm having one of these mornings where it seems like the world is changing around me. I opened up my Facebook this morning to see what was going on in the social media space and they changed the layout on me, Ramya. They changed the layout, uh, and your boy does not like change. So what would you do? You just get used to the new thing, or you're going to try to find a um, solace somewhere else? Oh, you no. Maybe I'll, hang out on Twitter or longer. I'll, I'll just adjust. I'll just adjust. I'll okay. complain about it for a couple of days, and then it's I'll just adjust. Well, yeah. this, is, this is it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of these Facebook OGs. I was one of these folks who joined it when you needed a university email address to join right. it. In fact, McGill University was the first university in Canada where our email addresses got us on Facebook. And the yeah. day they introduced Newsfeed on the Never forget the number of people who were like, this is the worst. Facebook is over. It'll never be the same. And like, we just all kept using Facebook until the majority of us quit using Facebook. Like I would say the majority of the people who I friended in those first couple of years have now moved on. 
do you actually consider it or do, are you good with Facebook? Like, I mean, I, mean, I just really like, good with Facebook. I, that's but. it. Like, I'm, I'm not really good with Facebook, but I just accept the reality of Facebook. Uh-huh. I just wish like I've got like four or five hundred friends. That isn't meant to be a brag. I just have like four or five hundred friends because I went to school a bunch of different times and was always meeting people on Facebook. And right. like I never see posts from them. Like never. No. It's just ads. No, we're all lurkers now. Yeah, it's yeah. just ads and like garbage news stories that I don't even subscribe yeah. to those news sources. I don't honestly like it's my mom. She's the only person who I know who actually posts <laughs> on Facebook and all of her friends, but nobody I know posts. It's all like events and event pages and and following similar to, you know, Instagram style. Yeah, like who That's posts it. anything anymore? No, that's what I mean. Yeah, social media. Or who is goes just... to Facebook for photos? Like, remember when that was a thing? You, you know your, your photos lie on Facebook. Not anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I used <laughs> to show off good-looking, handsome Dave Brown, and now I just right? untag myself from anything I get tagged in because I'm like, <laughs> oh, that sea beast is swimming around the ocean. Uh, Ramya, before we go too far off track here, what's coming up on the show today? Good, good timing, Dave. Okay, so we're talking about um, many different things that need to be addressed before a television show can be considered truly Canadian. So we're going to learn more about this with Greg David. There's the CRTC point system and all these different ins and outs. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. Also, a little rubric uh, talk with Greg David. I love it. Give me a formula. He's gonna <laughs> he's gonna check in on how much we really know about our Canadian TV. Uh, plus, forty six percent of senior managers in Canada have onboarded employees who have retired and then come back into the uh, workforce. So this is an interesting stat and a pretty big amount of people as well. So our friends from Robert Half are gonna uh, tell us why that's going on. And registered nurse Leslie Depot, it's her time to join us in the month, and she's answering all our questions about monkeypox, Dave. That's oh, a big thing right that, now. That's definitely a big one. There's a lot of myths yeah. floating around and there's a lot of mm-hmm. numbers floating around. And there's a lot of folks who are curious. Did we learn anything from the COVID-19 pandemic as we move right. into a different kind of pandemic? Although, of course, the monkeypox thing is much, much different. The trans, the, tra- the yeah. way it's transmitted is completely, completely different and it changes the equation. So that's great. A nice educational segment on Kelly and Company mm-hmm. doing a little myth busting. That's good stuff. Ramya, before I say goodbye to you, I've got one more thing. It's our daily poll, which folks can find at AMI-audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Ramya, there's an Australian airline that in an attempt to deal with flight delays and baggage issues is having their managers and executives come down from the ivory tower and lend a hand on the ground with some of the baggage departments. Do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? I think it's a great idea. In fact, I think that this should be a regular thing for many companies because, <laughs> because the front line is where it all goes down. So sometimes we were, well, actually, a lot of the times we're complaining about how people at the top don't know uh, what's actually happening on front lines and, you know, all these other things. But really, though, it's kind of like bring your kid to work day, but like the complete opposite. <laughs> bring, bring your boss to front line day. Yeah. I like that you identify that as something that I think people would like to see more from their bosses, understand more what I do. Here's where I mm-hmm. call it a bad idea, Ramya. I think okay. the issue is, is that you're going to have a bunch of untrained people trying to deal with a more complicated job, and it's just going to make things worse on the ground. 
Yeah, you have a definite point. I just agree with the sentimentality yes. of it. I never yes. really thought about the uh, training or any of the <laughs> the actual like nitty gritty stuff that's going to happen. It'll probably be super chaotic. There's an office episode that uh, kind of did something like this, no? Yeah, when they go down to, when they go down to work in the uh, the the, the plants. Yeah, they the go warehouse. To, when they go to work yeah. in the warehouse and they're trying to exactly. figure out how to carry uh, boxes of paper and put them on the truck. Yeah. It was an absolute disaster. Spoiler so, alert, it doesn't go right, well. Yeah. And they spill a <laughs> bunch of oil all over the floor. What's it called, Jim? Senior Lodenstein? Why do they call it that? Because it's muy rapido. I watched The that. Office too much. Uh, Ramya, thank you for this. Thank you. That's Ramya Emuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Let's go back to Grace Scofield, who has your entertainment report. <laughs> Grace Taylor Swift getting into some legal wranglings. Some Taylor Swift talk today. Yeah, so there is a lawsuit for the copyright of her song Shake It Off. Shake which it was, off. Shake it off. Thank you, because I didn't want to do that, but I really wanted you to. I was hoping you would do that for me. I like that song. <laughs> I like a lot of Taylor Swift's music. <laughs> this case was dismissed in 2018 originally, but it was appealed by the girl group 3LW, and it then the judge decided there was enough objective similarities to send the case to a jury for a final decision. So the lyrics in question in this song are haters going to hate and players going to play. And in Taylor Swift's song, obviously they repeat a bunch of times, Mm -hmm. Uh, but the group 3LW claims that Swift copied their song. Players going to play. So Swift claims that she wrote the lyrics entirely on her own, drawing on past life experiences, criticism she faced in the public eye and common phrases she heard during her childhood, such as, um, haters gonna hate. Haters gonna players hate. Gonna and play players it. gonna play. And don't hate the player. Hate the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Swift also claimed that she'd never heard of the girl group Three LW. So to back up this claim, neither have I. By the way, I haven't either. I have no idea who these people are. To back up this claim, Swift's mother filed a statement as well. <laughs> My mommy says I wrote this song myself. (laughs) Saying that Swift never would have heard this song and never would have heard of the group as her mother closely controlled the type of music, shows, media, etc. that Swift consumed (laughs) as Swift was 10 when 3LW released the song. And of course, we don't live in a digital era of music where Taylor Swift easily could have come across this song well after her mother stopped controlling Um, her life. Of course. There There was no chance of this. But also, this phrase is so popular. Like... Haters gonna hate. Who like doesn't say that? Yeah, that's, on a daily basis. Like, like that's, that's. I hear that pretty much every day. In fact, three LW. You better be careful. You may have stolen that from somebody else. Right. That's exactly it. So that's my question for you, Dave. What do you think? Like, is this a valid thing to file for copyright for? I, like, Grace, I'm so glad you brought this topic to us because I do find musical lawsuits to be really interesting because, in theory, in Western music. There's only so many notes that can be played, right? There's only so many notes that actually exist in scales that we know. And there's only so many harmonies and chords and progressions that are actually harmonically pleasing, right? There is there is music that is meant to be not pleasing, like atonal music, but that ain't Taylor Swift and that ain't 3LW. Exactly. So let's like focus in the world of music that like is actually popular, there's only so many combinations you can use, not to mention in the English language, there's only so many words you can use. So I think what I'm going to have to do is a little bit of off-air research here, and I'm going to have to listen to this 3LW song in question, because the only way where I would tell you that there's some kind of significant song lifting here is if there's some sort of matching cadence, 
right? Yes. That if it was like, haters gonna hate, 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 and play is gonna play, 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 play. So if that cadence was lifted from that song, right? That rhythmic yes. cadence inside the chorus, I would say, okay, you've got a case here. But if it's simply the, the, the case of, well, they, she used these words, well, congratulations. Like how many songs have been written about somebody named Emily? Exactly. And that's the thing with 3LW song, from what I've read so far, they just say haters going to hate, players going to play. That's the only thing they say. They don't repeat any words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not said in the same fashion. So I don't really see the similarity. I mean, I think that it's like haters going to hate, you're shaking off the haters. What else are you going to say about them kind of thing? And so I, they said that there was enough factual similarities there was facts to back up this case and i don't know how there could be facts with this because yeah they're saying the same three words but like find me a song that doesn't have another song that says the same three words Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like i don't think there's one song where there's not a match somewhere in its lyrics with some other song somewhere else Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. i i don't know i don't see it as being like a factual similarity i guess i'm not close to being a lawyer or knowing anything about this and any terms. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe there's a deeper level to it. But on the surface, it really doesn't look like there could be a factual similarity here. Well, Grace, what we're going to do is there's only five minutes left in the show today and we cannot play the song for legal purposes <laughs> on the air right now. We don't have the rights to play the song. So you and I are going to listen to this after the show. Okay. And then we'll report back tomorrow with our final conclusions. Okay. This sounds Judge, like a plan. Judge Grace and Judge Dave. <laughs> It's going to be a new TV show. No longer now with Dave Brown. It's Judge Grace and Dave. Yes. It'll be like Judge Judy over here. Uh, Grace, thank you for this. Of course. That's Grace Scofield with the Entertainment Report. Let's bring in Nazreen Abdelmajid to find out what's trending. Nazreen, my Samsung phone gave me a push notification today saying the Samsung Unpacked event is happening. And uh, a couple phones caught your eye. Yeah, so hashtag Samsung Unpacked is trending, and they just announced the newest foldable phone today, uh, Galaxy Z Fold 4, and they revealed the look of it. So let me describe it. The Galaxy Z Fold 4 is a skinny phone that opens up like a book to reveal a tablet-sized 7.6-inch screen. Um, It's pretty cool. I would have that. I love foldable phones. I miss those foldable phones back then. Um, I had the Nokia one and uh, I always wanted that, you know, the slide one, but I never got that chance. Uh, what do you think? Is that something that you would you would have? I remember when flip phones were like a big thing. Right in the mm-hmm. in the early two thousands, when when the sort of straight up regular phone was no longer cool, you had to have the flip phone so you could have the action of yeah. hanging up on somebody by flipping your hand down. <laughs> I and wanted I, to be dramatic, <laughs> and I thought they were like the coolest thing in the world. And I definitely had a couple over the years, including the very famous Motorola Razor, because I was that kind of cool. I was like, look at me with my Motorola Razor. Phones <laughs> will never get better than this. And then ding dong, the iPhone came out. Uh, Nazreen, I I don't really. Really think this phone's going to bring me into the market. We mm. talked about this with Marco Flalo a little bit last week, and I know we're going to take yes. a deeper dive with Sean Priest in his segment tomorrow yes. on the show. But I just think, unless you can guarantee me a more efficient use of my pocket space, 
I'm pretty happy with the current setup that I've got. I would even argue that maybe I'd, I, I should have bought a slightly smaller phone considering how much geography it takes up in my pockets. So as you pointed out, it's a slim phone that folds over. So it is possible that it's going to solve my... But it's tablet-sized. But it's tablet-sized. So yeah. I just I'm just don't know if it's going to save me the pocket geography. And I think I've maybe passed the point where simply folding my phone is going to appeal to me. But what about you? What do you think? So my purses are very tiny and I like that. <laughs> so I don't have a place to put my phone if it's tablet sized. However, accessible wise, I like how big it is. So um, that's something that I would love for Apple to make a foldable phone. Just I want to hang up on somebody and be dramatic. I always pretended that was the case when I was younger. Uh, but <laughs> I know you feel the same way, Dave. Uh, but yeah, I never had that chance. So I don't know if I would get tablet sized, but my dad has the Galaxy Z Fold 3 and it's a bit smaller. Oh, so there's it's already like, there's already a Z Fold in your house. Yes. So he loves it. He loves the old school foldable phones. Uh, he's obsessed with it. It's like a regular sized phone, but flips. And um, he is dramatic the way I like it as well. So, <laughs> but but it is smaller, so it's nice. I like yeah. the Galaxy Z Fold 3 better than the 4, just by the look of it. The 4 looks too big. I don't know where it would fit in your purse, in your pocket. There's no way. Yeah. So, Nizreen, yeah. we've only got like 30 seconds left here, but I think you've identified yes. something that you and I share in common, which is because although we're not totally blind, we are legally blind and we do like having a big screen, but we also like wearing clothes that don't have gigantic pockets or in your case, carrying a gigantic purse or me carrying a gigantic satchel. So I think that speaks sometimes when when we want certain features, but they can really be mm -hmm. lifestyle impacting in the other ways. So that was well put and well identified by you. Nizreen, we got to go. Have a great day. You too. That's Nizreen Abdelmajid telling you what's trending. That's all the time we have for the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping on Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.